0: Section 1 of State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents, 1889 through 1892. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 1. Benjamin Harrison, December 3rd, 1889, Part 1. To the senate and house of representatives there are few transactions in the administration of the government that are even temporarily held in the confidence of those charged with the conduct of the public business every step taken is under the observation of an intelligent and watchful people the state of the union is known from day to day and suggestions as to needed legislation find an earlier voice than that which Speaks in these annual communications of the President to Congress. Goodwill and cordiality have characterized our relations and correspondence with other governments, and the year just closed leaves few international questions of importance remaining unadjusted. No obstacle is believed to exist that can long postpone the consideration and adjustment of the still pending questions upon satisfactory and honorable terms the dealings of this government with other states have been and should always be marked by frankness and sincerity our purposes avowed and our methods free from intrigue this course has borne rich fruit in the past and it is our duty as a nation to preserve the heritage of good repute which a century of right dealing with foreign governments has secured to us It is a matter of high significance and no less of congratulation that the first year of the second century of our constitutional existence finds as honored guests within our borders the representatives of all the independent states of North and South America, met together in earnest conference touching the best methods of perpetuating and expanding the relations of mutual interest and friendliness existing among them that the opportunity thus afforded for promoting closer international relations and the increased prosperity of the states represented will be used for the mutual good of all i cannot permit myself to doubt our people will await with interest and confidence the results to flow from so auspicious a meeting of allied land and in large part identical interests The recommendations of this international conference of enlightened statesmen will doubtless have the considered attention of Congress and its cooperation in the removal of unnecessary barriers to beneficial intercourse between the nations of America. But while the commercial results which it is hoped will follow this conference are worthy of pursuit and of the great interest they have excited, it is believed that the crowning benefit will be found in the better securities which may be devised for the maintenance of peace among all american nations and the settlement of all contentions by methods that a christian civilization can approve while viewing with interest our national resources and products the delegates will i am sure find a higher satisfaction in the evidences of unselfish friendship which everywhere attend their intercourse with our people another international conference having great possibilities for good has lately assembled and is now in session in this capital an invitation was extended by the government under the act of congress of july ninth eighteen eighty eight to all maritime nations to send delegates to confer touching the revision and amendment of the rules and regulations governing vessels at sea and to adopt a uniform system of marine signals. The response to this invitation has been very general and very cordial. Delegates from 26 nations are present in the conference, and they have entered upon their useful work with great zeal and with an evident appreciation of its importance. So far, as the agreement to be reached may require legislation to give it effect, the cooperation of Congress is confidently relied upon. It is interesting, if not indeed an unprecedented fact, that the two international conferences have brought together here the accredited representatives of 33 nations. Bolivia, Ecuador, and Honduras are now represented by resident envoys of the plenipotentiary grade. All the states of the American system now maintain diplomatic representation at this capital. In this connection, it may be noted that all the nations of the Western Hemisphere, with one exception, sent Washington envoys extraordinary and ministers plenipotentiary, being the highest grade accredited to this government. The United States, on the contrary, sends envoys of lower grades to some of our sister republics. Our representative in Paraguay and Uruguay is a minister resident, while to Bolivia we send a minister-resident, and Consul general In view of the importance of our relations with the states of the American system, our diplomatic agents in those countries should be of the uniform rank of envoy-extraordinary and minister-plenipotentiary. Certain missions were so elevated by the last Congress with happy effect, and I recommend the completion of the reform thus begun, with the inclusion also of Hawaii and Haiti, in view of their relations to the american system of states i also recommend that timely provision be made for extending to hawaii an invitation to be represented in the international conference now sitting at this capital. our relations with china have the attentive consideration which their magnitude and interest demand the failure of the treaty negotiated under the administration of my predecessor for the furthermore complete restriction of Chinese labor immigration, and with it the legislation of the last session of Congress, dependent thereon, leave some questions open which Congress should now approach in that wise and just spirit which should characterize the relations of two great and friendly powers. While our supreme interests demand the exclusion of a laboring element which experience has shown to be incompatible with our social life, all steps to compass this imperative need should be accompanied with a recognition of the claim of those strangers now lawfully among us to humane and just treatment the accession of the young emperor of china marks we may hope an era of progress and prosperity for the great country over which he is called to rule the present state of affairs in respect to the samoan islands is encouraging the conference which was held in the city in the summer of eighteen eighty seven between the representatives of the united states germany and great britain having been adjourned because of the persistent divergence of views which was developed in its deliberations the subsequent course of events in the islands gave rise to questions of a serious character on the fourth of february last the german minister at this capital in behalf of his government, proposed a resumption of the conference at Berlin. This proposition was accepted, as Congress in February last was informed. Pursuant to the understanding thus reached, commissioners were appointed by me, by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, who proceeded to Berlin, where the conference was renewed. The deliberations extended through several weeks and resulted in the conclusion of a treaty which will be submitted to the senate for its approval i trust that the efforts which have been made to effect an adjustment of this question will be productive of the permanent establishment of law and order in samoa upon the basis of the maintenance of the rights and interests of the natives as well as of the treaty powers the questions which have arisen during the past few years between great britain and the united states are in abeyance or in course of amicable adjustment on the part of the government of the dominion of canada an effort has been apparent during the season just ended to administer the laws and regulations applicable to the fisheries with as little occasion for friction as was possible and the temperate representations of this government in respect of cases of undue hardship or of harsh interpretations have been in most cases met with measures of transitory relief It is trusted that the attainment of our just rights under existing treaties, and in virtue of the concurrent legislation of the two contiguous countries, will not be long deferred, and that all existing causes of difference may be equitably adjusted. I recommend that provision be made by an international agreement for visibly marking the water boundaries between the United States and Canada in the narrow channels that join the Great Lakes the conventional line there and traced by the northwestern boundary survey years ago is not in all cases readily ascertainable for the settlement of jurisdictional questions a just and acceptable enlargement of the list of offences for which extradition may be claimed and granted is most desirable between this country and great britain the territory of neither should become a secure harbour for the evil-doers of the other through any avoidable shortcoming in this regard a new treaty on this subject between the two powers has been recently negotiated and will soon be laid before the senate the importance of the commerce of cuba and puerto rico with the united states their nearest and principal market justifies the expectation that the existing relations may be beneficially expanded the impediments resulting from varying dues on navigation and from the vexatious treatment of our vessels on merely technical grounds of complaint in West India ports should be removed. The progress toward an adjustment of pending claims between the United States and Spain is not as rapid as could be desired. Questions affecting American interests in connection with railways constructed and operated by our citizens in Peru have claim the attention of this government it is urged that other governments in pressing peru to the payment of their claims have disregarded the property rights of american citizens the matter will be carefully investigated with a view to securing a proper and equitable adjustment a similar issue is now pending with portugal the delagoa bay railway in africa was constructed under a concession by portugal to an american citizen when nearly completed the road was seized by the agents of the portuguese government formal protest has been made through our minister at lisbon against this act and no proper effort will be spared to secure proper relief in pursuance of the charter granted by congress and under the terms of its contract with the government of nicaragua the interoceanic canal company has begun the construction of the important waterway between the two oceans which its organization contemplates grave complications for a time seemed eminent in view of a supposed conflict of jurisdiction between nicaragua and costa rica in regard to the accessory privileges to be conceded by the latter republic toward the construction of works on the san juan river of which the right bank is costa rican territory i'm happy to learn that a friendly arrangement has been affected between the two nations. This government has held itself ready to promote in every proper way the adjustment of all questions that might present obstacles to the completion of a work of such transcendent importance to the commerce of this country, and indeed to the commercial interests of the world. The traditional good feeling between this country and the French government has received additional testimony in the participation of our government and people in the international exposition held at paris during the past summer the success of our exhibitors has been gratifying the report of the commission will be laid before congress in due season this government has accepted under proper reserve as to its policy in foreign territories the invitation of the government of belgium to take part in an international congress which opened at brussels on the 16th of november for the purpose of devising measures to promote the abolition of the slave trade in africa and to prevent the shipment of slaves by sea our interest in the extinction of this crime against humanity in the regions where it yet survives has been increased by the results of emancipation within our own borders with germany the most cordial relations continue The questions arising from the return to the empire of Germans naturalized in this country are considered and disposed of in a temperate spirit to the entire satisfaction of both governments. It is a source of great satisfaction that the internal disturbances of the Republic of Haiti are at last happily ended, and that an apparently stable government has been constituted. It has been duly recognized by the United States a mixed commission is now in session in this capital for the settlement of long-standing claims against the republic of venezuela and it is hoped that a satisfactory conclusion will be speedily reached the government has not hesitated to express its earnest desire that the boundary dispute now pending between great britain and venezuela may be adjusted amicably and in strict accordance with the historic title of the parties The advancement of the Empire of Japan has been evidenced by the recent promulgation of a new constitution, containing valuable guarantees of liberty and providing for a responsible ministry to conduct the government. It is earnestly recommended that our judicial rights and processes in Korea be established on a firm basis by providing the machinery necessary to carry out treaty stipulations in that regard. The friendliness of the Persian government continues to be shown by its generous treatment of Americans engaged in missionary labors and by the cordial disposition of the Shah to encourage the enterprise of our citizens in the development of Persian resources. A discussion is in progress touching the jurisdictional treaty rights of the United States in Turkey. An earnest effort will be made to define those rights to the satisfaction Of both governments, questions continue to arise in our relations with several countries in respect to the rights of naturalized citizens, especially is this the case with France, Italy, Russia, and Turkey, and to a less extent with Switzerland. From time to time, earnest efforts have been made to regulate this subject by conventions with those countries. An improper use of naturalization should not be permitted, but It is most important that those who have been duly naturalized should everywhere be accorded recognition of the rights pertaining to citizenship of the country of their adoption. The appropriateness of special conventions for that purpose is recognized in treaties which this government has concluded with a number of European states. And it is advisable that the difficulties which now arise in our relations with other countries on the same subject should be similarly adjusted the recent revolution in brazil in favor of the establishment of a republican form of government is an event of great interest to the united states our minister at rio de janeiro was at once instructed to maintain friendly diplomatic relations with the provisional government and the brazilian representatives at this capital were instructed by the provisional government to continue their functions our friendly intercourse with brazil has therefore suffered no interruption our minister has been further instructed to extend on the part of this government a formal and cordial recognition of the new republic so soon as the majority of the people of brazil shall have signified their assent to its establishment and maintenance within our own borders a general condition of prosperity prevails the harvests of the last summer were exceptionally abundant, and the trade conditions now prevailing seem to promise a successful season to the merchant and the manufacturer and general employment to our working people. The report of the Secretary of the Treasury for the fiscal year ending June thirtieth, eighteen 1889 has been prepared and would be presented to Congress. It presents with clearness the fiscal operations of the government and I avail myself of it to obtain some facts for use here. The aggregate receipts from all sources for the year were $387,050,058.84, derived as follows. From customs, $223,832,741.69. From internal revenue, one hundred and thirty million eight hundred and eighty one thousand five hundred and thirteen dollars and ninety two cents. From miscellaneous sources, thirty two million three hundred and thirty five thousand eight hundred and three dollars and twenty three cents. The ordinary expenditures for the same period were two hundred and eighty one million nine hundred and ninety six thousand. $615.60, $615.60, and the total expenditures, including the sinking fund, were $329,579,929.25. The excess of receipts over expenditures was, after providing for the sinking fund, 57470000 $129.59. For the current fiscal year, the total revenues, actual and estimated, are $385 million, and the ordinary expenditures, actual and estimated, are $293 million, making with the sinking fund a total expenditure of $341,321,116, and 99 cents, leaving an estimated surplus of $43,678,883.01. During the fiscal year, there was applied to the purchase of bonds, in addition to those for the sinking fund, $90,456,172.35, and during the first quarter of the current year, the sum of $37,838,937.77, all of which were credited to the sinking fund. The revenues for the fiscal year ending June thirtieth, 1891 are estimated by the Treasury Department at $385 million, and the expenditures for the same period including the sinking fund at $341,430,477.70. This shows an estimated surplus for that year of $43,569,522.30, which is more likely to be increased than reduced when the actual transactions are written up. The existence of so large an actual and anticipated surplus should have the immediate attention of Congress with a view to reducing the receipts of the Treasury to the needs of the government as closely as may be. The collection of monies not needed for public uses imposes an unnecessary burden upon our people, and the presence of so large a surplus in the public vaults is a disturbing element in the conduct of private business. It has called into use expedience for putting it into circulation of very questionable propriety. We should not collect revenue for the purpose of anticipating our bonds beyond the requirements of the sinking fund, but any unappropriate surplus in the treasury should be so used as there is no other lawful way of returning the money to circulation, and the profit realized by the government offers a substantial advantage. The loaning of public funds to the banks without interest upon the security of government bonds I regard as an unauthorized and dangerous expedient It results in a temporary and unnatural increase of the banking capital of favored localities and compels a cautious and gradual recall of the deposits to avoid injury to the commercial interests. It is not to be expected that the banks having these deposits will sell their bonds to the treasury so long as the present high-beneficial arrangement is continued, they now practically get interest both upon the bonds and their proceeds. No further use should be made of this method of getting the surplus into circulation, and the deposits now at standing should be gradually withdrawn and applied to the purchase of bonds. It is fortunate that such a use can be made of the existing surplus, and for some time to come of any casual surplus that may exist after Congress has taken the necessary steps for a reduction of the revenue. Such legislation should be promptly but very considerately enacted. I recommend a revision of our tariff law, both in its administrative features and in the schedules. The need of the former is generally conceded, and an agreement upon the evils and Inconveniences to be remedied and the best methods for their correction will probably not be difficult. Uniformity of valuation at all our ports is essential, and effective measures should be taken to secure it. It is generally desirable that questions affecting rates and classification should be promptly decided. The preparation of a new schedule of customs duties is a matter of great delicacy because of its direct effect upon the business of the country and of great difficulty by reason of the wide divergence of opinion as to the objects that may properly be promoted by such legislation some disturbance of business may perhaps result from the consideration of this subject by congress but this temporary ill effect will be reduced to the minimum by prompt action and by the assurance which the country already enjoys that any necessary changes will be so made as not to impair the just and reasonable protection of our home industries. The inequities of the law should be adjusted, but the protective principle should be maintained and fairly applied to the products of our farms as well as of our shops. These duties necessarily have relation to other things besides the public revenues. We cannot limit their effects by fixing our eyes on the public treasury alone. They have a direct relation to home production, to work, to wages, and to the commercial independence of our country. And the wise and patriotic legislator should enlarge the field of his vision to include all of these. The necessary reduction in our public revenues can, I am sure, be made without making the smaller burden more onerous than the larger by reason of the disabilities and limitations which the process of reduction puts upon both capital and labor. The free list can very safely be extended by placing thereon articles that do not offer injurious competition to such domestic products as our home labor can supply. The removal of the internal tax upon tobacco would relieve an important agricultural product from a burden which was imposed only because our revenue from customs duties was insufficient for the public needs. If safe provision against fraud can be devised, the removal of the tax upon spirits used in the arts and in manufactures would also offer an unobjectionable method of reducing the surplus. A table presented by the Secretary of the Treasury showing the amount of money of all kinds in circulation each year from 1878 to the present time is of interest. It appears that the amount of national bank notes in circulation has decreased during that period one hundred and fourteen million one hundred nine thousand seven hundred and twenty nine dollars, of which thirty seven million seven hundred ninety nine two hundred and twenty nine dollars is chargeable to the last year. The withdrawal of bank circulation will necessarily continue under existing conditions. It is probable that the adoption of the suggestions made by the comptroller of the currency, namely that the minimum deposit of bonds for the establishment of banks be reduced, and that an issue of notes to the par value of the bonds be allowed, would help to maintain the bank circulation. But while this withdrawal of bank notes has been going on, there has been a large increase in the amount of gold and silver coin in circulation, and in the issues of gold and silver certificates. The total amount of money of all kinds in circulation on March 1st, 1878 was 805,793,807, while on October 1st, 1889, the total was 1,405,018,000. There was an increase of 293,000,000 Four hundred and seventeen thousand five hundred and fifty two dollars in gold coin of fifty seven million five hundred and fifty four thousand one hundred dollars in standard silver coins of seventy two million three hundred and eleven thousand two hundred and forty nine dollars in gold certificates of two hundred and seventy six million six hundred and nineteen thousand seven hundred and fifteen dollars In silver certificates and of fourteen million seventy three thousand seven hundred and eighty seven dollars in United States notes, making a total of seven hundred and thirteen million nine hundred and seventy six thousand four hundred and three dollars. There was during the same period a decrease of one hundred and fourteen million one hundred and nine thousand seven hundred and twenty nine dollars in bank circulation, and of $642,481 in subsidiary silver. The net increase was $599,224,193. The circulation per capita has increased about $5 during the time covered by the table referred to. The total coinage of silver dollars was on November first eighteen eighty nine three hundred and forty three million six hundred and thirty eight thousand and one dollars of which two hundred and eighty three million five hundred and thirty nine thousand five hundred and twenty one dollars were in the treasury vaults, and sixty million ninety eight thousand four hundred and eighty dollars were in circulation of the amount in the vaults. Two hundred and seventy seven million three hundred nineteen thousand nine hundred and forty four were represented by outstanding silver certificates, leaving six million two hundred nineteen thousand five hundred and seventy seven dollars not in circulation and not represented by certificates. The law requiring the purchase by the treasury of two million dollars worth of silver bullion each month to be coined into silver dollars of 412.5 grains has been observed by the department, but neither the present secretary nor any of his predecessors has deemed it safe to exercise the discretion given by law to increase the monthly purchases to $4 million. When the law was enacted February twenty-eighth, 1878, the price of silver in the market was 1.204 dollars per ounce, making the bullion value of the dollar 9three cents. Since that time, the price has fallen as low as 91 point two cents per ounce, reducing the bullion value of the dollar to seventy point six cents. Within the last few months, the market price has somewhat advanced, and on the first day of November last, The bullion value of the silver dollar was 72 cents. The evil anticipations which have accompanied the coinage and use of the silver dollar have not been realized. As a coin, it has not had general use, and the public treasury has been compelled to store it. But this is manifestly owing to the fact that its paper representative is more convenient. The general acceptance and the use of the silver certificate show that silver has not been otherwise discredited. Some favorable conditions have contributed to maintain this practical equality in their commercial use between the gold and silver dollars, but some of these are trade conditions that statutory enactments do not control, and of the continuance of which we cannot be certain. I think it is clear that if we should make the coinage of silver at the present ratio free, we must expect that the difference in the bullion values of the gold and silver dollars will be taken account of in commercial transactions, and I fear the same result would follow any considerable increase in the present rate of coinage. Such a result would be discreditable to our financial management and disastrous to all business interests. We should not tread the dangerous edge of such a peril, and indeed nothing more harmful could happen to the silver interests. Any safe legislation upon this subject must secure the equality of the two coins in their commercial uses. I have always been an advocate of the use of silver in our currency. We are large producers of that metal and should not discredit it. To the plan which will be presented by the Secretary of the Treasury for the issuance of notes or certificates upon the deposit of silver bullion at its market value, I have been able to give only a hasty examination owing to the press of other matters, and to the fact that it has been so recently formulated. The details of such a law require careful consideration, but the general plan suggested by him seems to satisfy the purpose to continue the use of silver in connection with our currency, and at the same time to obviate the danger of which I have spoken. At a later day, I may communicate further with Congress upon this subject, The enforcement of the Chinese Exclusion Act has been found to be very difficult on the northwestern frontier. Chinamen landing at Victoria find it easy to pass our border, owing to the impossibility with the force at the command of the customs officers of guarding so long an inland line. The Secretary of the Treasury has authorized the employment of additional officers, who will be assigned to this duty, and every effort will be made to enforce the law. The Dominion exacts a head tax of $50 for each Chinaman landed, and when these persons, in fraud of our law, cross into our territory and are apprehended, our officers do not know what to do with them, as the Dominion authorities will not suffer them to be sent back without a second payment of the tax. An effort will be made to reach an understanding that will remove this difficulty. The proclamation required by Section 3 of the Act of March 2nd, 1889, related to the killing of seals and other fur-bearing animals, was issued by me on the 21st day of March, and a revenue vessel was dispatched to enforce the laws and protect the interests of the United States. The establishment of a refuge station at Point Barrow, as directed by Congress, was successfully accomplished judged by modern standards we are practically without coast defenses many of the structures we have would enhance rather than diminish the perils of their garrisons if subjected to the fire of improved guns and very few are so located as to give full effect to the greater range of such guns as we are now making for coast defense uses this general subject has had consideration in congress for some years and the appropriation for the construction of large rifled guns made one year ago was, I am sure, the expression of a purpose to provide suitable works in which these guns might be mounted. An appropriation now made for that purpose would not advance the completion of the works beyond our ability to supply them with fairly effective guns. The security of our coast cities against foreign attacks should not rest altogether in the friendly disposition of other nations, there should be a second line wholly in our own keeping. I very urgently recommend an appropriation at this session for the construction of such works in our most exposed harbors. I approve the suggestion of the Secretary of War that provision be made for encamping companies of the National Guard in our coast works for a specified time each year and for their training in the use of heavy guns. His suggestion that an increase of the artillery force of the army is desirable also in this connection, commend it to the consideration of Congress. The improvement of our important rivers and harbors should be promoted by the necessary appropriations. Care should be taken that the government is not committed to the prosecution of works not of public and general advantage, and that the relative usefulness of works of that class is not overlooked so far as this work can ever be said to be completed i do not doubt that the end would be sooner and more economically reached if fewer separate works were undertaken at the same time and those selected for their greater general interest were more rapidly pushed to completion a work once considerably begun should not be subjected to the risks and deterioration which interrupted or insufficient appropriations Necessarily occasion the assault made by David S. Terry upon the person of Justice Field of the Supreme Court of the United States at Lathrop, California, in August last, and the killing of the assailant by a Deputy United States Marshal who had been deputed to accompany Justice Field and to protect him from anticipated violence at the hands of Terry, in connection with the legal proceedings which have followed suggest questions which, in my judgment, are worthy of the attention of Congress. I recommend that more definite provision be made by law, not only for the protection of federal officers, but for a full trial of such cases in the United States courts. In recommending such legislation, I do not at all impeach either the general adequacy of the provision made by the state laws for the protection of all citizens or the general good Disposition of those charged with the execution of such laws to give protection to the officers of the United States. The duty of protecting its officers as such and of punishing those who assault them on account of their official acts should not be devolved expressly or by acquiescence upon the local authorities. Events which have been brought to my attention happening in other parts of the country have also suggested the propriety of extending by legislation. Fuller protection to those who may be called as witnesses in the courts of the United States. The law compels those who are supposed to have knowledge of public offenses to attend upon our courts and grand juries and to give evidence. There is a manifest resulting duty that these witnesses shall be protected from injury on account of their testimony. The investigations of criminal offenses are often rendered futile and the punishment of crime impossible by the intimidation of witnesses the necessity of providing some more speedy method for disposing of the cases which now come for final adjudication to the supreme court becomes every year more apparent and urgent the plan of providing some intermediate courts having final appellate jurisdiction of certain classes of questions and cases has i think received a more general approval from the bench and bar of the country than any other Without attempting to discuss details, I recommend that provision be made for the establishment of such courts. The salaries of the judges of the district courts in many of the districts are, in my judgment, inadequate. I recommend that all such salaries now below $5,000 per annum be increased to that amount. It is quite true that the amount of labor performed by these judges is very unequal, but as they cannot properly engage in other pursuits to supplement their incomes, the salary should be such in all cases as to provide an independent and comfortable support. Earnest attention should be given by Congress to a consideration of the question how far the restraint of those combinations of capital, commonly called trusts, is a matter of federal jurisdiction, when organized, as they often are to crush out all healthy competition, and to monopolize the production or sale of an article of commerce in general necessity, they are dangerous conspiracies against the public good, and should be made the subject of prohibitory and even penal legislation. The subject of an international copyright has been frequently commended to the attention of Congress by my predecessors the enactment of such a law would be eminently wise and just. Our naturalization law should be so revised as to make the inquiry into the moral character and good disposition toward our government of the persons applying for citizenship more thorough. This can only be done by taking fuller control of the examination, by fixing the times for hearing such applications, and by requiring the presence of someone who shall present the government in the inquiry. Those who are the avowed enemies of social order, or who would come to our shores to swell the injurious influence, and to extend the evil practices of any association that defies our laws, should not only be denied citizenship, but a domicile. End of section 1